Is there anything you would have done differently? We've reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and, yes, what is going right with the American news media. In every episode, we're going to tell you what's on our front page, a quick recap of the stories that caught our attention this week. Then we're going to take a deep dive into our obsessions, the things we couldn't stop thinking about. Finally, Chris is going to twist my arm and make me say something nice before we sign off. Up first, on the front page... These are the stories that caught our attention this week. Uh, Chris, we've gotten saturation media coverage of the Texas Democrats who fled the state to protest the passage of new voting restrictions down in Texas. And they turned their trip to D.C. into a covid super spreader event. (laughs) Your bounce on the media coverage. Well, it's been Pretty impressively stupid, even for what is typically stupid political coverage. It it is the press's fault to a certain degree, but it does, in fact, start with politicians lying about what they're doing. So Uh, let's let's just cut to the press part. Well, no, 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 no. So the and separating the right wing press from the Republican Party and the left wing and the the mainstream or left wing press from the Democratic Party uh, is an exercise in futility. So you kind of got to do them both at the same time. If So the Texas Republicans, Greg Abbott's worried about getting primaried, so they have a stunt special session to address either non-existent or very narrow problems, including changes to Texas voting laws that are unnecessary. Well, I mean, look, you can do them, but they're unnecessary. Democrats then say this is an assault on democracy as we know it, right? So this rather benign— The biggest threat since—didn't Biden say it was the biggest threat since the Civil War or something? Yep. Uh, or that was Saki, but the White House definitely has has been very loose about comparing these pandering, unnecessary changes that Republicans are making to literal civil to, rights here. As Biden said, Jim Crow 2.0. Yeah. So the Texas Democrats abscond from the state, something that's happened before, and it, it's a stunt. So the Republicans have a stunt, and then the Democrats have a stunt uh, to, against the stunt, and the Democrats. I take issue with your putting those two. S- stunts, quote unquote, on the same level. But uh, well, anyways. I, I mean, I, I, I'm there is some uh, moral relativism here. But look, it is not relative and is absolutely plain is that the coverage of what the Democrats was doing was preposterously overblown. It Beyond was, that, can we just talk about like, of co- I, I to- that's totally true. But they get on a private jet None of them are wearing masks. They're all violating COVID rules. It brought me to mind of, and then like they all get COVID. Yeah. And it brought me to mind of of the Trump White House events for Amy Coney Barrett first uh, to celebrate yeah, yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. There were like two different events. One was to actually announce her nomination. Mike the other Pompeo was, like, going around breathing on congrats, Yeah, congratulate her. And like it was wall to wall coverage of the disregard for science. And I just uh, I pulled these these two NBC clips to compare and contrast the coverage of these things. Let's let's hit those. You know, this decision to flee the state was already getting a lot of criticism from Republicans. Now comes this covid outbreak. What are these representatives and Texas voters saying now? 
Yeah, the Democratic lawmakers who have tested positive are saying that they knew that going to D.C. for these three weeks was going to be a sacrifice, and this is part of that sacrifice. I want to read a little bit of the statement that Representative Celia Israel released, uh, saying, quote, I hope this instance highlights the sacrifices we're willing to make for the cause of democracy. Hallie, let's go back to this Saturday event. Some are wondering whether this yeah. was the super spreader event. We know eight people have tested positive. We have uh, some images of the indoor reception, and it's so striking, yeah. Hallie. Um, and you see the little red dot? That shows who subsequently tested positive. And, and, and it really tells the story. It really does, Savannah, especially because, listen, I don't see any masks in these photos, the ones that have been released. There are no visible masks. You have people like Bill Barr, Alex Azar, uh, top cabinet officials talking with Amy Coney Barrett. Tom Tillis, though, who's seen there talking with one of Amy Coney Barrett's children, he tested positive. Um, this, this is close contact. These are close quarters. Masks help. But again, we didn't see those in that setting. So uh, the level of panic, you know, ratcheted down several notches. And in fact, like the violations of covid protocol, which were the focus of the Trump coverage, uh, we haven't even heard much about it. But you were going to say something about the coverage of the actual stunt. Well, uh, now let me make a false equivalency point. I, I think uh, you are quite right. But I also do think that a group of nabobs from the Texas legislature are different than the president and we're at a different point in the vaccine, but I certainly okay, sure. But like, if they had been Republicans, there would have still been wall-to-wall media coverage of their irresponsibility and Ab putting people's lives at risk, et cetera. Absolutely, would have been more. Absolutely, absolutely. I I think that I think the problem here is this story about voting rights. This story is now the wrongest thing, right? Of all the, of all that's going on in political coverage, this discussion. And here's here's a radical statement to make. That's a true one. It has never been easier to vote, and it, the elections process has never been safer in the United States in our history. It is as easy to vote. It is easier to vote now than it's ever been before, and it's also very safe and secure. And the coverage acts like these things are not true, right? And when you create that false— Yeah, the coverage is totally untethered to facts. Right. And I think as a result, very few people know what are what's actually in these so, bills. So when in when the Texas Democrats uh, are you you were probably in high school or junior high when Tom DeLay was trying to crack the Texas uh, redistricting process. This is the last time the Democrats absconded from the state to keep that from happening. And I think th this should be covered like that was. This is all a bunch of Texas political it's a filibuster. Yeah, this is it's just, a filibuster. It's Texas political gamesmanship. Texas legislature. Have you ever read the gay place? No. Is it the best American political novel ever written? No, because all the king's men exists. But gay, G A Y. Yep, G A Y. The Looking gay it up right now. The, the gay place, and it is a lightly fictionalized account of Texas in the Lyndon Johnson era, and it is uh, what's his name, Billy Billy Lee Bramwell Brammer. Brammer. Uh, Billy Lee Brammer's The Gay Place is a, if you like journalism and you like politics, and you must if you're listening to this niche number, that's a great thing. So Our um, spinoff book, book podcast is coming <laughs> soon. Coming soon. But the, the I only bring it up to say Texas politics has been weird and wild for a long time. So cover it like what it is, not like the like these guys drinking beers on the plane are saving democracy as we know it. It's just like, come on. I was way more obsessed with the COVID hypocrisy or it's not really hypocrisy. It's just the tendentious coverage of the press. And so the New York Times 
writes about the Texas Democrats and the headlines were Texas Dems face COVID outbreak. Uh, Like they had nothing to do with. It's the passive voice that uh, I like chastise my reporters for all the time. So they write Democratic state lawmakers from Texas arrived in Washington last week with plans to apply unending pressure on the Senate to pass voting rights protections that would help counteract a Republican election overhaul bill back home. Then a COVID-19 outbreak stalled their progress. Somehow. Flashback to the New York Times' coverage of these Amy Coney Barrett events, and the headlines were Showtime in a Potential Petri Dish. White House is not tracing contacts for super spreader Rose Garden event. By the way, like the word super spreader for these Texas Dems who had like infected a Pelosi staffer and took it to Kamala Harris in the White House has not really been used. And finally, how the White House flouted basic coronavirus rules. So Uber, Uber drivers are getting pretty cool about and I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But Uber drivers are getting pretty cool. Like, if you want to take your mask off, they ask you if you're vaccinated and if you want to take your mask off, it's okay. But since I live on Capitol Hill, <laughs> the guy goes, do you work in Congress? <laughs> and I said, I said, no. He goes, okay, you can take your mask off Are you off from if Texas, you sir? Well, okay, so I, I agree with everything that you said, but I do want to stipulate two things. One is the scale, uh, White House versus uh, Yahoo's. And number two was there wasn't a vaccine. There were not vaccines available uh, to combat the spread of coronavirus at the time that Mike Pompeo was breathing on everyone. So uh, was it Pompeo? I don't. He even was think one of the. Was. He was one of the people. But it was. It was sort of. It was sort of like in at the Republican National Convention at the White House. You're looking at all these people packed in cheek by jowl, and you're like, no one's wearing a mask, and a lot of these people are old. Like there's some. There's a like. If I was Wilbur Ross, I would have been. Guys, uh, let's spread out a little bit here. So speaking of. Vaccines. Speaking of such matters, we have noticed a change uh, at the Fox News Channel on uh, vaccines, being vaccinated, being responsible. What are masks? We could listen. You can listen to Steve Ducey gently, lovingly nudge Brian Kilmeade back uh, in his outrage about whether kids will be masked in the fall. Uh, that's part of a new look for. Well, let's play the clip. Okay, let's hear The worry is the kid would pick it up at school and take it home and kill somebody in their family. And that is why, that's why they're considering that. So then that family member can get vaccinated. Right, So if the adult is vaccinated, there's no problem. If they choose not to get vaccinated, that's their problem. But Brian, there are 90 million Americans who are not vaccinated. And that is their choice. That is why yesterday the top Democrat, rather the top Republicans in America said get the vaccine. And... That goes with a new vibe, which includes PSAs and Sean Hannity. PSAs uh, being public service announcements. Public service announcements. That's right. Uh, But doing PSAs, encouraging people to get vaccinated. Sean Hannity saying he believes in science. He got the vaccine. My guess is that the company was coming under too much pressure for having too many of its hosts discouraging vaccinations. Pressure from whom? Um, the earth, America, people who don't want to have coronavirus, that it, it it's a very bad look when the urgent goal for the country is, look, basically, we've got to get 85 percent. I don't know what the magic. There isn't really a magic number, but we got we can't stall at 70 percent if we want to get rid of masks and do all that stuff. So with Republican with red state vaccination rates lagging the rest of the country and this turning into a flashpoint it would also be a liability for the network. Uh, if if Fox was seen as contributing to the problem, and Fox was contributing to the problem, when you have people going on air, I point to Tucker Carlson, and there's others who are going on that are saying, 
who knows what's in a vaccine? I'm like, who knows what's in an airplane? Uh, can you make an airplane? Do you know how a guys? Jet this is flies? like the fifth call I've watched come into Chris's phone while we've been recording. Uh, popular guy over I, here. I'm a pretty big deal because <laughs> I have a podcast with you. And that's why the people. That's why the people want to call me. Well, speaking of Tucker, he was not on board with the network's move, which I thought illustrated pretty nicely what we've talked about in previous weeks, which is Fox's inability to control its talent. So here's what Tucker Carlson had to say. After uh, Fox start, began running these public service announcements and Fox and Friends told everyone to get Fox and Friends and Sean Hannity told everyone to get vaccinated. Here you go. But there are a lot of those people giving you medical advice on television and you should ignore them. The advice they're giving you isn't designed to help. It's designed to make you comply. And you shouldn't comply mindlessly. You're an American adult. You are allowed to ask simple questions and then demand clear answers. That's why we live here. That's your birthright. Chris, I have to say, I agree with Tucker on this. I the PSAs are fine, like they're being paid, their advertisements being paid for for Fox to run. That's great. But I don't think it is the role of news hosts to tell people to get vaccinated. I believe it is their role. I agree with like Tucker in this narrow clip that we played. I believe they should tell people like this is what the data shows the vaccines do. And it, it's not their job to to tell people what to do. Well, it's Tucker's job to I mean, it's he's an opinion host. So if you're a news anchor, I no, agree you, with his news commentary. If you're a news host. And this is where a, a difference between a host and an anchor, right? So an anchor is just supposed to be doing the news, right? Bill Hemmer and Dana Perino are anchors because they're supposed to just be playing it straight. A host is an opinion host, and the, they have latitude to do whatever. Tucker Carlson has demonstrated for many days, for weeks, that he is skeptical about vaccination. For sure. I agree and, with him that, like, you know, for all the CNN hysteria, it is just not the job of news people to tell people what to do. You know, the opinion folks should be more responsible than he has been. Well, that and, and that and that's just the thing. You can't I, I'm I am I'm frustrated by the fact that we are talking about vaccines as if these are scary, weird, unheard of things. What do we know? Who's we? No, the the I'm sorry. Uh, skeptical, uh, vaccine skeptical to vaccine resistant. What is this thing? We don't know what this is. And it's like, it has been much more closely scrutinized than the stuff that people shoot into their kids' uh, arms for measles, mumps, and rubella. This, this, All of the careful scrutiny of this stuff. We rely on the good judgment of other people all the time. And this is a, a further reflection. And look, Low confidence in institutions is understandable. I know why there's low confidence in institutions. And I know that poor whites uh, and African-Americans are the most vaccine resistant. And they also have lots of good reasons to be skeptical of institutions because they can point to a lot of ways in which they feel like they've been failed and actually have been failed by those same institutions. So I get it. Like, I don't misunderstand. But this is a point where you need somebody, you need people. And I, my, I kudos to Sean Hannity. Kudos to Sean Hannity for putting his reputation on the line. The Better e late than never. The easy way out on this stuff is to stand back and just let it happen, right? So you have Tucker who is uh, playing into the concerns and playing into the fears. But what a lot of people, and not just at Fox, but uh, across the right, just stay silent on this. Like, let it drift by. I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do. But if you are, uh, if you have opinions about everything else, and you have opinions about this stuff, 
and you're a lifestyle person, right? And you're like, live like me, buy my book. If Steve Ducey thinks that you should- Buy my doormat. Right. If, if, Remember those? Yes, yes, yes. If Steve Ducey thinks- What was it? The don't be a pinhead doormat? Don't be a pinhead. The the, the Bill O'Reilly- R.I.P. The Bill O'Reilly merch game was <laughs> truly- <laughs> Didn't Rod, Roger Ailes call them like like a merchandise salesman with the TV show or yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, something funny? So one t- uh, What did he say? One t- uh, I remember him saying something to the effect of, we, somebody tell these people this, is a, uh, this isn't a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> uh, hey, that's a great point. Have you read my book? But I just think, you know, I think if Steve Ducey is uh, going to tell people his great, re- his, he and his great, his wife's great recipe for watermelon feta salad, he should also feel free to tell them uh, that they should get vaccinated. Seems like a very bougie recipe for the Fox audience. Oh, man. Over arugula? Their stuff is, the, the Ducey stuff is really good. The cookbooks are actually, I can I can attest that they're really good. It's your, this is your topic next that I have nothing to say about. Migo, well, if there's one thing that as we are living testament in this moment, my friend, there's one thing that journalists like talking about. It's journalism and journalists. And so everybody- An saw, acts of aggression towards journalists. Right, exactly. So everybody saw the story. And it is alarming in its own way. Everyone might not have seen the story, so about, let's recap. I was about, I was about to. I was about to. <laughs> A Israeli firm had developed spyware that could hack, that can hack even the much vaunted Apple operating system. And that authoritarian governments around the world were using this spyware to get into the phones of a lot of people, presidents, prime ministers, da-da-da-da-da, but lots and lots and lots and lots of journalists. And that it was connected to of the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. And, you know, as we know that in geez, China and Putin's Russia and the Saudi Arabia and a lot of places in the world, journalists are targeted uh, and it's scary stuff. And so full stop. That's bad, scary, and true. But it is, uh, I would note, that part of the reason that it got so much play in the American press, and it got a lot of play, Washington Post has alerted my phone. You think I get a lot of calls. The number of Washington Post text alert and stuff about this story, which, again, interesting and important and all that stuff. But you can tell that one of the greatest bias in journalism is conflict, always for conflict. But one of the other truly great biases in journalism is for stories about journalism. And here was one that everybody could dive headlong into. Just a behind-the-scenes peek for you guys. There's a category of stories that I never want to do that Chris always says we have to do because it's the big news in media this week, and this was one of those. So, what? I mean, if I I don't know if our, our our fellow wretches will care to about that or not, but I do think tracking these kinds of stories is important for us because the threat of authoritarianism is real. And the power of authoritarians uh, to spy on and disrupt journalists are real. So I just wanted to make a note. On to a topic that I liked uh, (laughs) was National Public Radio's attempted dunk on Ben Shapiro. So NPR posted a story this past week. The headline was Outrage is a Business Model, How Ben Shapiro is Using Facebook to Build an Empire. And their beef with Ben Shapiro is the following, quote, the articles the Daily Wire publishes don't normally include falsehoods. And the site said it is committed to truthful, accurate and ethical reporting. 
But as Settle explains, that's somebody there, uh, yes, someone they're quoting, by only covering specific stories that bolster the conservative agenda, such as negative reports about socialist countries and polarizing ones about race and sexuality issues, and only including certain facts, readers still come away from the Daily Wire's content with the impression that Republican politicians can do little wrong and cancel culture is among the nation's greatest threats. Uh, I just love that because that is a description of what journalists and reporters at every publication do. They pick the stories they're going to cover. They choose the facts that they're going to include in those stories. And they decide, like, what what are the what's important and what's not. Talk about relativism. Talk about hypocrisy. Uh, I, I have not delved into NPR's efforts to expose Ben Shapiro. But everything that I just read and everything you just read is, of course, 100% true. You know who else that could be said of in reverse? NPR. Of course. NPR story selection. If you listen to NPR, and I do, uh, I am a a, uh, near daily consumer of national public radio products. Uh, Would that they could all be wait, wait, don't tell me, but uh, whatever. Their story selection, you could listen to Morning Edition. Every day. Is it only specific stories that bolster the liberal agenda? Exactly. I'm just su- I'm just subbing it, the words here. It, Would someone come away with the impression that Democratic politicians can do little wrong? And that Republicans and Republican nationalists are the greatest threat to the republic. Their, ben Shapiro has succeeded in creating a lovely stovepipe in which to put all of these young men who are who love his stuff and the NPA, NPR is 100% right and i could say the same thing about middle-aged white ladies and NPR it's and what fox used to do it's that he found an audience it's 50% of the country that objects to the spin yeah. they're getting from NPR and the the problem if i can be uh, boring again the the problem is it's it is everyone and it, it's it's there are very few outlets that really put effort into bringing a variety of views and a variety of opinions to the work. And yeah, you should visit the Washington Free Beacon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the uh, I believe that at the Dispatch that that a good effort is made to be fair-minded and even-handed, but uh, it's rare. Fair-minded and even-handed, two words no one has ever used to describe the Washington Free Beacon. But it, but it is a blowtorch. The Washington Free Beacon has I have described uh the Washington Free Beacon as a blowtorch uh, as a blowtorch. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. Thank you. We should make new shirts with that. Exactly. Um, the blowtorch of truth. Up next, there were a pair of New York Post reports noting that CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins's bylines had disappeared from the pieces she wrote at the Daily Caller, where she covered entertainment before she went on to fame and whatever else at CNN and then mysteriously reappeared. But her name was replaced with contributor. Now, uh, I have no idea what happened here, whether they wanted her name gone, whether she wanted her name gone, whether it was a technical fluke. But it did like bring me in mind of what I feel like is the handful of mainstream media reporters who actually came from conservative outlets, the uh, the Caitlin Collins is the you. Robert Costas. You. Me. Yeah. Uh, but I don't fall into this category. I don't well, think. But I did. You did for a while. But the Betsy Woodruff Swans, uh, she worked at National Review with me. Uh, you know, my the reason I went back to conservative media was that I feel like the the conservatives who make it to the mainstream they like really work to shed as quickly as possible, like to wash themselves of the stench of the conservative ghetto. 
and to become like indistinguishable from everyone else in the mainstream, which kind of defeats the purpose of like thinking a little bit differently. And I definitely felt that happening to me, even if I didn't believe it, like, you know, just keeping your mouth shut judiciously. That's something I noticed that I wish I wish that like these folks wore their I don't know how to put it like wore their where they came from a little bit more proudly. I should point out in the spirit of dull disclosure that Caitlin is a friend of mine and I and I admire her and think that she has done a good job. And I think she has not been. I I definitely know the syndrome you're talking about where people go way overboard to and I'm not going to I'm not going to name any names, but where you can observe in people like, oh, you're overcompensating for the fact that you feel like you need to launder. And, you know, it's it's interesting. When I got my start in newspapering, there were two newspapers. Uh, there was a Republican and Democratic newspaper in uh, the capital city. I have worked on what I call the wrong side of the street. I guess my whole – I've never worked at what anybody would call a mainstream – well, I think of Fox as a mainstream news outlet, but it's it's mainstream right. And the Washington Examiner and all of that jazz razzmatazz. And I don't think of it as a ghetto. I guess I guess the way I look at it is I wish more conservative journalists or people who were working at for. Yes, I'm getting another phone call. It's true. From a Fox personality. A, a Fox journalist that the I wish that more people who are in right side media would be proud of trying to do good journalism. So I agree with you that I don't like it when people leave the right wing and then try to launder themselves of it. But I do wish that more people who are at right wing outlets would make journalism a higher priority. I agree with that. It's like the mission of the Washington Free Beacon, but I'm not here to promote my own outlet. The dispatch dispatch raises a toast to you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Up next, Buffalo News reporters are uh, upset at the terms of a takeover of the Buffalo News by, let's see, Lee Enterprises, an Iowa-based media company. Lee is is rough. Uh, uh, That that bought the news from Warren Buffett, who used to own it. But in in protest, uh, I just found their tactic funny. They're going on a byline strike, so they're, like, doing all their work, but they're not getting credit for it. They're withholding their bylines and, you know— May not be the best and brightest. Uh, right. I'm sure the folks at home will be like, doing this process. Susie Cream Cheese is not covering the City Hall yeah. beat anymore. Well, that's it. That tears it. This Lee Enterprises, I'm out. Uh, uh, I, do fe- I do feel very bad for them because watching, you know, the n- newspaper industry, not fun these days and local news, not fun these days. And, I, you know, I feel bad for them. But, yes, I agree. It's a little preposterous. It's a little self-important to think that taking your byline off. of, And I know why. I mean, the New York it. Times literally took bylines off its front page because they said these things are not doesn't it's not important. It's 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 and and I love I, it's about the collective, not the individual. I kept every byline that I had for or, uh, uh, very sweetly. My father kept all, every byline that I had written for many years uh, after he passed away, finding them in a big box uh, in his in his office. Oh, that is touching. Was and and a byline is very is a very important thing to a reporter because and bylines, by the way, are important because it is a it is accountability and responsibility. This person says this is true and this is who it is, and if it's not true or it's wrong, we we know where to go and we know what to say. And it's about it, it is about pride, and it, but it is uh, standing by the work that you do. And when places take bylines away, so. Reporters staging a byline strike is a little self-important, maybe more than a little. But uh, when outlets go away from bylines and just go to contributor and, uh, you know, staff reports, 
they are not only denigrating the work of journalists, but they are also taking they're, they're making it easier and easier to fudge and fudge. And that's we there's a long history of of those things happening. So sorry, Buffalo. Up next, actually now, actually our now. obsessions of the week where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. Chris, you're up first. So, relatedly, what I can't get out of my head is how do we keep local? How do we not keep local news? If we if we maintain local news at, at the current levels, we're dead anyway. We need a renaissance in local news, and there are efforts uh, underfoot uh, in Congress currently. And there's a lot of ideas being thrown around. And uh, but one of them is the a new newspaper preservation act that would allow news outlets, local news outlets, to band together to collectively bargain with Facebook and Google for a higher share of the revenue. And uh, this, in conjunction with a change at the FCC that allows for ownership across media so that there were previous injunctions that you couldn't have a TV station and a newspaper, da, da, da. So they are getting rid of that stuff. And, and those are things. But how will we measure how they're doing. How will we know if, if, uh, the, 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 if we want to be scientific about this is we, you have to measure something for it to be real and for change to be real. So what would you measure? You would measure what? Subscriptions or readership. And the Pointer Institute has a very interesting uh, piece about, so I don't know whether you know this, but newspaper circulation numbers have always been fake. It's one of the fakest, fakey. It's it's like it's like the Billboard Hot 100. How, I didn't you, know that. It's like, are you sure these are the numbers? And it's like, yeah. See, uh, over there, our Sunday subscriptions up to three hundred thousand. And because uh, much like the ratings, right? So this is what they're telling the car dealers and the and Respects Grocery Store. Uh, this is how much you got to pay for an insert ad because our circulation is this high. So these numbers have always been fudgy. And there's auditing, and if you get caught out, it's bad. But come on. So now the interesting story here is. At long last, we get oh to the interesting story here. Oh. Okay, go. The, the interesting story here is there is, as newspapers are moving to digital space, the phoniness of their circulation numbers is being revealed because there is this gap <laughs> between their audited circulation and what is their, the, because they're moving to all these digital only. And I, I would just say, I, I I bring it up. I I understand it's probably not malicious or whatever in any case, and I don't want to cast too many aspersions. But if it's the, not malicious, they just can't do math. They just can't do math. But the <laughs> but the the takeaway for me is we need better metrics to understand how the news business were how the news business is performing and how outlets are performing because it's all very gauzy, right? Uh, how many clicks? You said this many clicks. Da 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 da. Subscriptions are the are are the important part, and if even that's unreliable, that means we need more accountability uh, so that we know what's working and what's not. Harumph. My obsession of the week is Michael Wolf's <laughs> appearance on Brian Stelter's Sunday Show Reliable Sources. Michael Wolf, who has a new Trump book out, uh, Chris poked a big hole in it last week when he talked about. Wolf's report that Rupert Murdoch pressed Fox to call Arizona for Biden, which uh, Chris said was nonsense. But he appeared to promote his book on Brian Stelter's show this weekend and dropped this giant truth bomb. Uh, Let's hear it. I think the media has done a terrible job on this. 
I think you yourself, um, you know, while you're a nice guy, you know, you're full of sanctimony. Um, you know, you become part of one of the parts of the problem of the media. You know, you come on here and you and you have a, um, um, uh, you know, a monopoly on truth. You know, you know exactly how things are supposed to be done. Um, you know, you are why one of the reasons people can't stand the media. I didn't know you were going to say truth bomb. I thought you were about to say something else. But anyway. Well, I'm obsessed with this because Stelter, I think, embodies so much of what has gone wrong with uh, with the media and in particular reporting on the media, which used to be like a real beat that people would have in a serious endeavor that there are a few people who still do it. But mostly it's transformed into reporting on right wing media. And there's very little reporting on what's happening in mainstream media. And Stelter basically now devotes his life, if you read this, the Reliable Sources newsletter, to covering Fox News yeah. and conservative media and totally overlooking the very real problems and scandals and like salaciousness that's right in front of his nose at CNN and elsewhere. Howie Kurtz at Fox has a, has a tough job, but I can, (laughs) 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 but I give Howie uh, some credit that he tries to, he he tries to put it in there. He tries to talk about, Oh God, moving on. Well, anyway, that's a, that's a way to say, I don't think these networks should be doing media criticism. I don't think that CNN, sh- I, I think that this is, I think it's, it's so, it is an arm of their public relations right. department. When Howie Kurtz does it, he is a shill for Fox. When, when Brian Stelter does it, he is a shill for CNN. I hope he's getting paid a lot of money because it's a pretty humiliating gig. Well, I used to joke that Fox needed a channel, a, another channel that would be Mystery Science 3000, but for watching CNN. That it would, they would just, it would be a, a third Fox channel that would just air CNN constantly. And then Fox, it would be like Lou Dobbs and Janine Pirro or whoever would sit there and be like, that's the worst story I've ever Remember seen. Remember they used to have uh, the Jim Pinkerton show? Oh, my Fox Lord. News, what was that called oh, back in my high school days? Yeah, Watch. Was that Fox? Fox News Watch, yes, maybe? Fox yeah. News Watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they would do this kind of stuff. Right. So, th- so th- this is more sniffing one's own flatulence. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and Stelter is has made a career out of channeling the hatred that CNN viewers have for Fox and and this is where this is why cable news is not a, is is not super part of the reason it's not super is that in order to make money you have to keep viewers habituated and one good way to keep viewers habituated is to say that the other people are so bad and you must stay here because these other people are so 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 terrible and i think what tucker carlson said about vaccines ought to be applied to these networks when it comes to media criticism. Let people make up their own minds about what they're going to want to go do. But I understand that why for the business model, Stelter is double coupons. I may or may not have compared the the conflict between Wolf and Brian Stelter as the Iran-Iraq war. I'm not, I'm not saying that I did say that, but it was delightful to watch these two guys who make their living off of this, uh, off of harvesting the, the, the seabed, uh, scavenging the ocean floor, <laughs> uh, tearing into each. It was. I'm just, laughing because a forthcoming piece in the Beacon, which will be up once this airs, just came across my uh, computer here, which is a satirical, exclusive inside look at CNN Plus, um, <laughs> and 
It says, for example, subscribers will be able to access a live Twitch stream of Reliable Sources correspondents Brian Stelter and Oliver Darcy watching Fox News all day to prepare for their show. That's what Where I... they talk about what they saw and invite pundits on to explain why it's outrageous. But the graphic is just really great. That's so good. <laughs> this is this is satire. And that is exactly what my old joke was about Fox. So they both Ugh. need a Mystery Science Theater 3000 where they sit there and complain about the other one. Oh, uh <laughs> another another feature, uh, CNN Plus subscribers will be invited to participate in a lively Zoom discussion with one of the network's premier pundits, including chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin. Hey, T- camera off. Uh, I, but, you know, Fox has already got Fox Nation and uh, CNN. I wouldn't know anything about that. I've, I'm vaguely familiar with it, what it is. It, but, ex- it exists. But I hear it hasn't been a raging success. It, but getting people, the, you you joke about CNN Plus. The the name of the game will be how do you get how do you get habituated users to give you four bucks a month? Yeah, exactly. Um, they should t- they should consult with Ben Shapiro. You know exactly. Well, they probably they probably will. Maybe one day Ben Shapiro will just take over Fox News. He will. <laughs> no, I mean uh, CNN Plus should be consulting with Ben Shapiro about how to monetize this thing. Well, they have to find what is the left. There's the left wing version of that stuff. It's called like um, is that Upworthy? It has very high habituation. But of course, one of the things that NPR hates. One of the, to circle back to that very briefly. One of the things that people really dislike about Ben Shapiro's success is how much success there has been. And for all of the complaining about what's wrong with social media and all that stuff, Republicans crush, conservatives crush on Facebook. They dominate Twitter. Social media is like— They do not dominate on Twitter. Conservatives? Well, they don't— Dominate on Facebook. In terms of—I don't know what the data are on Twitter. Facebook, I know the data that reliably eight out of ten— They're very successful on Facebook. On Twitter, uh, I can't— I think it was Pew that did a study showing, like, the average conservative on Twitter—first of all, there are m- many more liberals on Twitter, but the average yeah, conservative yeah. on Twitter is representative of the average conservative IRL. Mm-hmm. The average liberal on Twitter is far to the left well, they have, of as, the as, average as, liberal IRL. At, at the risk of you chiding me uh, again for allowing this to turn into a social media instead of a news media podcast, I will say that— the Twitter addiction on the left has caused uh, a lot of a lot of problems for totally. not, for not understanding how what real life is like and having to be. It's reminded. caused problems for people like me who read the mainstream and I like believe when they report on all these polls and stuff. Well, don't get me started on don't get me started on the polling report and how since you opened the door, I, I will run through it very briefly to say this. It's all BS. No. There was a report out from the American Association. Samantha, no, that's what I mean. Like the report, basically. American Association of Public uh, Opinion Research, uh, which is the industry group. For, TLDR is like polling is all BS. No. And they came out and said, oh, it's the worst poll ever. And it's all these things. Let me tell you something. The way that news outlets misuse polls and don't understand what polls are, and the degree to which political reporting is over-reliant on polls is preposterous. I am here to tell you, good polling can still be done. There are new challenges, there are problems, state polling is a disaster for a lot of reasons, but the national polls in 2020 were off, but they weren't by they weren't off by that much more than they were in 2012 when they undercounted Obama. Like, yeah, it's a poll. And what I read, I got mad. I wrote about this uh, for uh, the dispatch, which was I read a Politico piece 
and it was, how's Mike Pence doing in Iowa? Oh, I read this. And I'm like, okay, how's Mike Pence doing in Iowa? And two, I don't, I can't remember who wrote it, but they cited, you know, three, they talked to Bob Vanderplatz and all of the, you know, whoever's that you always find at the pizza ranch in Iowa, the, the five people who are always available to tell you what f- folks on the ground are doing in Iowa. The headline on the story was Mike Pence, Mike Pence flatlines in Iowa. The evidence for this was the skepticism expressed by these four guys and then a poll done by Donald Trump's former pollster, Tony Fabrizio, and a straw poll at CPAC, which was essentially Trump worship. A, like a, the, it, I wrote that it would be like going to a BTS concert and doing a straw poll for who's your favorite band. And the reporter cited these things as like, well, and it was just like, don't use polls yet. You can't use polls on 2024 yet. They're just all they would be at this point would be name recognition. That's all that, and even that is skewed. So DeSantis is ahead in this poll, and what about that? Give me a break. Go talk to people. Get a hunch and bet a bunch. We need a generation of political reporting that uh, has to has to figure stuff out and intuit things and not pretend like the polls can tell you the truth. What the polls can do is give you a snapshot in time. They're not going to tell you where it's going. It's not all that stuff. And I get so frustrated when people attack polling Fine, as long as you understand what polling is, and very often news outlets get it so terribly wrong in how they use polls and talk about polls. That brings us to our favorite items of the week. Okay. Mine flows nicely from uh, from the previous segment, and I'll leave you with the the last one, but... I'm, I'm continuing my obsession with Michael Wolf, who uh, told Brian Stelter why he came on CNN in the first place after he ripped Stelter and dropped these truth bombs. Uh, here's the clip. Well, then why'd you bother coming on CNN a few times this week? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a book salesman. Cheers to Michael Wolf for that sort of honesty, because I would like to see more of it. It's good TV. You're double dipping, but all right. <laughs> Your 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 wolf your wolf obsession. My is a is a slight mea culpa. I last week tore into the Atlantic for its homogeneity and predictability, and that they you can tell the same five stories they're all going to do, and you know where's the diversity and da 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 da. And then, uh, as God would have it, I opened up my computer, and I was presented with a engrossing, amazing, expensive, thoughtful, and powerful piece about the plight of the Uyghurs, uh, the, you know, more than a million Uyghurs in prison put into uh, re-education camps by the Chinese. Uh, the Atlantic spent money, spent time, uh, used a lot of resources to tell a story that is very often overlooked about the about Xi's increasingly tyrannical regime and, and what's going wrong in China and to shed the light on this. So to, to the Atlantic, I, I don't take it all back, but I certainly want to. We'll put the link to that story in our show notes. There you go. That is the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Inkstained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.